Well, gentlemen, it's 6.30, so let's go ahead and get started. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 tonight, and we're going to be looking at David and Goliath. And no, you did not take a wrong turn and end up in the first grade group. We are going to talk about David and Goliath tonight. I think oftentimes we're like, oh, that's a story they tell in children's ministry. It's something that really happened. It's in God's Word. I think there's a lot we can take from it. And I want us to look specifically at a couple verses tonight that I hope will shake you just a little bit because as I read them, thought through them, and prayed through them this week, they shook me a little bit. So let's jump into it. Let's pray real quick, and we'll start reading. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for bringing these men here tonight safely. Lord, I know they've probably had a long day of work. Lord, a lot on their plate, but I thank you that they're here. And Lord, I thank you that when we open your word, you speak to us. So Lord, tonight I pray you'll speak to us. Thank you for David. Thank you for his life. Thank you for all the different principles and teachings we can take from his life. And so Lord, tonight I pray as we look at David and Goliath and we look at the courage that he had to stand before Goliath because of your faithfulness in his own life, Lord, that we would take up the same thing and do the same thing in our own lives. So Lord, if there's anything in our life, Lord, that we need to walk in obedience to, that we need to be courageous in. I pray you'll call us to that tonight. Thank you that you love us. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, we're in First um, Samuel chapter 17, and I want to read the first uh, 10 or 11 verses here just to set the stage. It says, the Philistines gathered their forces for war at Sokah in Judah and camped between Sokah and Azekah in Ephidim. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. So each day they would come out, they would set up in full force, ready to fight the battle. Verse 3, the Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Now, just so you all know, uh, I'm not the the best reader, I I read that three times earlier this week and kept saying raven, and I kept thinking, well, that's strange. I don't know why there was a raven between them, but there wasn't a raven, no bird. There probably was a bird, but there was not a bird separating it, okay? There was a valley, a ditch, something between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. Now, I just just want you to grab hold of this and make sure that we understand the size of this fellow. It says he was nine feet, nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. I want you to think about that just for a moment. Not only was he nine feet, nine inches tall, but just the armor that he was wearing weighed 125 pounds. All right, so think about that. I, I want you to carry 125 pounds around with you just for a little bit and see how that is, okay? Verse six. There was bronze armor on his shins, and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam, and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. So just the point of his spear, those of you that are hunters, uh, I know you you, you have on the end of an arrow that you're going to shoot, and and on the end of it, can you imagine that thing weighing 15 pounds? I mean, this was a big fella. He's wearing 125 pounds of clothing. He's got a spear, and just the end of it, just the tip of it, weighs 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations, Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them, Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have them come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. So this seems like a good plan. 
instead of taking thousands and thousands of men and thousands and thousands of men on the other side and a bunch of you kill a bunch of the other ones and hope one of them comes out on top, you just give us your best, we'll give you our best, and just let those two duke it out. Whichever one dies, that group of men will serve the other one. And this way, instead of fighting a big battle that's going to be really bloody with lots of death, only one person has to die. It seems like a decent plan. The issue is when you look across and see a man that's 9 feet 9 inches tall, wearing 125 pounds, and he's carrying a, uh, a javelin that has a tip of it is weighing 15 pounds, you don't have somebody that big on your side. And so it says in verse 10, then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man who can fight, who we can fight each other. And this is the verse that I want you to hear. When Saul, now stop right there for a minute. Do you remember when the Israelites were asking for a king? They were asking God for a king. What was one of the characteristics of Saul and the reason they were so excited to have him as king? He was head and shoulders above every other man in the army. This was a big man. He was probably the biggest they had. He was a man that was a warrior. He was a general. He commanded his troops. When you think about a war movie, when you think about a gladiator, you think about a guy like Saul. He was stout. He was big. He was strong. He commanded the troops. It says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. I want you to listen to it one more time. They lost their courage and were terrified. Now, let's back up for a moment. Every morning they would wake up and what would they do? They would get fired up and excited to go out and stand on the line and get ready to fight this battle. But when they saw Goliath come out there and defy God, it says that they would lose courage and they were terrified. Do you smell fear in these men? There's some fear going on here. One of the things I would say to you is fear, in my opinion, is one of the most contagious things there is. I've noticed with my children, for instance, when the weather gets rough, if they are talking about the possibility of tornadoes and stuff, if I begin to say, hey, I think we ought to get in the closet, hey, I think we ought to all get together, they begin to become a little scared. But if I'll just say, hey, we're okay, because I'm watching it close. I mean, I'm keeping my eye on it. I know what's going on. If I say, hey, we're okay, and if I stay strong, they'll just keep on going. They don't even think about it. They'll just keep on going. And it's amazing how if I'll begin to waver, they'll immediately follow suit. What happened is Saul looks across, head and shoulders above the rest of them, looks at Goliath, and it says he loses his courage and was terrified. Now, I don't know about you. I've never had to stand before a ravine with an entire army over there and have a giant stare me down from the other side. Now, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of people, historians and theologians that says he has a lot of brothers and they were all giants and all that stuff. We could talk about all this. But the bottom line is it's one giant versus whoever you'll send out. And when they saw him, they were afraid. And they would run away in fear. So I want to ask you this question as we think about giants Obviously, we're not going to most likely go into a fight physically with a giant, but I believe we often face spiritual giants all the time. I believe we face giants in our culture. I believe we face giants in our own personal life. I, be, I believe we face giants in, in all areas of our lives at different seasons of time. That may look different for everybody. One of the guys and I were just in here talking about just struggles 
and his struggle looks different than my struggle. We talked about those things a little bit. And I believe each one of us faces a giant or giants in our lives. And so the question is, what are those things in today's culture, not a physical giant, not a Goliath that's nine feet, nine inches tall that stands in front of you and says, I'm going to kill you. But what are those things in our lives that make us do the same thing? That we would lose courage and be terrified. Now you say, Derek, this is week five. Uh, We've built a little relationship around the table, but I'm not real comfortable getting transparent and talking about what terrifies me. The bottom line is, I believe with all my heart, the devil is coming after men in our culture with everything he has. He already lost the battle at the cross, so if he can take as many down with him, he's going to take them down. And so he's coming after us with everything he's got. He's studying you, he's watching you, and he's coming after you and all of those things. And we face these different things. So what are those things in our lives today that we look at and that we see men in our culture today that get discouraged by and become terrified by? What discourages them and do they become terrified over? So I'll just share something with y'all. So my little girl turns eight years old on Monday. She's my youngest of four. She is, uh, she's amazing. She's just a ball of energy. I've got four kids that all play basketball. Uh, Andrew, you know this. Uh, they love the game. They love all sports. But she is the only true athlete I have. Now, if I want the other three to know that, I'll tell them. You don't need to tell them, okay? They have watched, and it just comes naturally. We, my wife and I coach, and we work with the other three hard, and we turn around, and the eight year, the, she's still seven. She's already doing it. It's amazing. I've watched her. She's dealt with something since she was eight months old. Eight months old, she had already had four or five ear infections, and so they did the first ear surgery. So she's now almost eight, and uh, about two weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago tomorrow, she had her eighth ear surgery. And so my wife took her to the doctor this morning, a very dear friend of ours, and he came in and he said, I, I, I just don't know how to tell you this. She's got a hole in her eardrum and they've been doing these skin grafts over and over to try to get that hole to cover up. And he comes in and we felt so good about this surgery, number eight. And he comes in today and he tells my wife and her that were there that it didn't take. Part of the graft is taken, but the, the rest of that skin that they, we were hoping and praying would adhere, that, that part of the skin is dying. And he said, it's, it's, it's not going to adhere. It's, it's not going to take. And my wife texted me, and she said, I'm in the bathroom just ugly crying. She said, Chloe's out there with, with, uh, with the doctor who's a very dear friend of ours, and he's kind of talking her through it. And she's like, I just don't know what to do anymore. And I, I sent her a couple texts back, and then I just closed my door. Well, Josiah, Josiah you were in there with me. Josiah prayed, prayed over me, and thank you, Josiah. It meant a ton. And then I closed my door, and I'm not going to lie to you. I took my phone, and I just slammed it down on my desk, and I said, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. And then I said this. I said, I don't know if we can do this again. I don't know if I can do this again. And it was like the Lord just said to me, I've got this. Just trust me. I've got this. Just trust me. I can choose to trust him. I can choose to doubt I can choose to take things in my own hands, but I'm at a point now where I've tried everything I can do. We've continued to pray. We're continuing to seeking the Lord. We're continuing to trust the Lord, but I don't know what to do anymore. I told my wife today, I said, we are not doing another surgery until we've met with 10, 12, 15 doctors. 
And they're all on the same page that we're going to do the right thing. And then we're just going to pray and pray and pray. That's one small thing going on in my life. I've got four other things that are major rocks that I'm praying for right now that if I could just be honest with you, I'm like, Lord, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know if I can make it through this. That's just one of the five. There's four other ones that I'm praying through right now that I've got written on a card that I'm just trusting the Lord. And what I know is that the devil's coming after you, and I know that we're facing things in our lives, whether they be financial, whether they be relational, whether they be job, whether they be decisions that you're making about your home, whether they be decisions you're making about a vehicle, whether they be decisions you're making about your future, your children's future, the future of a future spouse or your spouse. There's all kinds of decisions we're having to make. And so I want us to talk around the table just for a minute. What are those things that the devil uses in our lives that cause discouragement and fear? So what does this to men, uh, mean to men today? They lost their courage and were terrified. What kinds of things cause you and I to lose courage and make us terrified? Take a few minutes to talk about it around your table. All right, guys, let's bring it back together. What do you hear at your table? What does this to men today? What? Somebody share, what does this to men today? Causes discouragement and even terror at times. Anybody brave enough to share? What's that? A gun pointed at you. That'll do it. Every time. Every time. I got a friend of mine that goes to church here that that happened to him at this gas station right down here on Appling. So he got out of his car to pump gas about a year ago and uh, turned around and they were pointing a gun at him. Do you know what's crazy about that story? Of course, he took off running. He just threw him his keys, wallet, phone, took off running. And uh, his brother's a police officer. So when they finally got over there, his car was still there. Here's the beauty of driving a stick shift. Most people don't know how to drive it. Uh, and that is a true story. That's a true story. They could not take the car. So, um, But, yeah, absolutely. He dealt, he dealt a lot with that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, somebody, Chance. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times we just make just crazy, quick, rash decisions. And instead of thinking them through, praying them through, following the, the leadership of the Lord, Yep, absolutely. So, so uh, you've prayed for something. God didn't answer it the exact way you thought he should, and so you get discouraged somewhat. Yeah, that happens for sure. You know, I was sitting there thinking today as, uh, as I got the text that my little girl ear surgery didn't take, and this is number eight. The fear of the unknown, I think, oftentimes will cause discouragement and even, even somewhat of fear. And for me as a father who just wants to protect my children and provide for them and care for them and not knowing how to do that, I found myself today doing either one of two things. My first knee-jerk reaction was just to say, I can't do this. And then it, you know, the Lord knew exactly what I needed today because as I was reading this, I said, yeah, but this is, the Lord said, yes, this is, but this is what's supposed to cause you to be more dependent upon me. And so I just called my wife. We talked through it. And we're praying together as a family. And even tonight, we had dinner right up here. And, and uh, we were just praying over my little girl that God would just heal her. And so all I can do is trust. Saul and these men ran away in fear because they were looking at the size of the giant. They were focused on the size of the giant. Look at verse 23. It says, while he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath the Philistine from Gath 
came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. So what happened is, after some time of this going on each and every day, David's daddy sends him away from the sheep to go to his brothers and check and see how things are going. He sees all of the soldiers line up. He sees the Philistine army line up on the other side. And so David decides he's going to go and get a closer look and see what's going on. And he overhears Goliath shouting his usual words. Verse 24, when all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. Now listen to this. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of the man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. What has happened is the king has sweetened the pot a little bit, if you will. King Saul should be the one out there fighting. He should be leading his troops. Instead, he has retreated. And he's offering a reward to anybody that's man enough to stand up in front of Goliath and to defeat him and listen to what he has offered. Now, I don't even think he's talked to his daughter about this, so she don't have a clue what's going on. But he's offering the man that defeats Goliath his daughter, probably land and all kinds of stuff. And on top of that, the man's father, that that means the whole family is exempt from paying taxes. Now, I don't know about you. But in the city of Memphis, that would be, you know, that would, I'd, I'd probably have to say, okay, you know, let me, I may try this, all right, because taxes, they're getting me, okay? And you think about it, no more taxes, okay? So he's sweetened the pot a little bit, and yet, when, as soon as they saw Goliath, what does it say they did? They retreated. They were terrified. They did not want to be a part of it. I believe, oftentimes, in, our, in my life and in the lives of many men, That when the devil comes knocking, whether that be with temptation, whether that be things that we are fearful of, that oftentimes we retreat because like the Israelites, we look at the size of the giant. Instead of doing what David did, and we'll see in a moment, he looked back at God's faithfulness. That's all he did. He looked back at God's faithfulness, and then he was obedient to do what God called him to do. But not the Israelites, not the rest of them, not Saul. They looked at the size of the giant, and they were terrified, even with all of the incentives that the king gave them. So I'm going to ask you a question. What type of incentives does the devil use to keep men distracted and discouraged today? I'll give you one, in case you can't think of one. An incentive of pornography is that you can get instant pleasure with nobody else knowing and it not affecting anybody else. That is the biggest lie, in my opinion, that is being used by the devil today. Now, I don't talk about this a whole lot, but the reality is, statistically speaking, a large majority of us in this room are looking at pornography. Now, some of you are shaking your head and saying, that's not me. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, that's not you. I guarantee you've got another struggle. But statistically speaking, a lot of you in this room struggle in this area. 
And think about the incentive that the devil dangles in front of a man with pornography. You can get instant pleasure without affecting anybody else. And part of the beauty of pornography that he sells in the package of his lies is that you can get away with it. And there's something very attractive about being able to do something sneaky and behind people's back where they don't know what's going on. And that's how he grips them. That's how he gets them in his snare. Now, that's one of many illustrations that we could use. And so I want you to talk about it for a few minutes around your table. What incentives does the devil use to keep men distracted and discouraged? You know what Saul used here? He used some incentives, but yet he did not lead them into battle. He ran away in fear. So I want you to talk about some incentives that the devil uses in our lives around the table. Ready, set, go. All right, guys. What incentives? Anybody Anybody talk about a good one around the table? Okay, money. Yeah. Yeah, money. What else? What? Social media? Absolutely, yep. Sports? Yep, yep, there's a few. Hey, so um, I, I anybody ever listen to Dave Ramsey? Anybody listen to Dave Ramsey? I, I enjoy listening to Dave Ramsey. I've learned a ton from Dave Ramsey. Anybody uh, listen to Larry Burkett? Anybody ever followed Larry Burkett and his finance stuff? That's what my wife and I first started on. I really like that stuff. So I, I'm, I, I'll just be honest with you. My wife's a saver. She's a planner. I'm a spender. Okay. Dave Ramsey would say, I'm the free spirit in our home. Okay. I like to spend money and, and, and I don't. Okay. I don't because she keeps me on a strict regimen. Okay. But uh, Dave Ramsey says that we should never use credit cards. Anybody ever heard him say that? Don't, don't use credit cards. Don't have credit cards. If you got them, cut them up and throw them away. So back in, I don't remember, I think it was 2015, Dave Ramsey came here and spoke. And after he was done speaking, they had a like a meet and greet thing with him. Well, I stood in line. You know, it was that long line where you get to ask Dave all these questions, and he's just brilliant. I mean, I'm, li- I'm just listening to answer all these people, and he's just spewing out all these stats, and I'm like, how does somebody know all that stuff? And so finally, it comes to my turn, and I said, hey, Mr. Ramsey, I said, you know, thank you for your ministry. I said, um, now, my wife and I use credit cards. He said, what? I said, well, we do. I said, because, you know, when I, when I go to Old Navy, and they say I could save 25% today if I open a credit card. I open the credit card, and I put it on there, and then my wife and I go home, and then we just transfer the money, and we just pay it off. And he said, so you just pay it off every time you use it? I said, yeah, we basically treat it like a debit card. And he said, so you're telling me that you use a credit card for the, the incentives. Is that what you're saying? I said, yes, sir, that's exactly what I'm saying. And he said, so he said the credit, the uh national credit, whatever. I don't know all that stuff. He said, they say that 93% of Americans on a monthly basis do not pay their credit cards off. 93%. He said, so remember, when I say this, he said, I'm speaking to the masses. He said, because if I say, hey, it's okay for you to have a credit card, just be smart with it. He said, everyone's going to go out and get a credit card. He said, so I just stay right in that lane. Don't use a credit card because he said 93 out of 100 people are going to mess it up. He said, if you can stick with it and never pay interest and use it just like a debit card, he said, go for it. Might as well use their money too. And I said, okay. He said, but make me a promise. And I said, yes, sir. He said, no, look me in the eyes and tell me, Dave, I promise you 
So I looked Dave Ramsey in the eyes right over here in Guest Central. I, I, said, uh, I said, Mr. Ramsey, I promise you. He said, promise me that the first time you miss that and you have to pay interest, you will cut all your credit cards up. And I said, Mr. Ramsey, <laughs> I said, I promise you the first time we miss the payment, you know, we, we don't pay it off and we have to pay interest, we'll cut them up. And he said, I'm going to hold you to it. Now, how? I guess he's watching. I don't know. Uh, I'm not, it's like the elf on the shelf. I don't know. I don't know how it works, okay? So, so Dave says, so I go home and tell my wife. And this is what Dave said on the way, I'm about to walk off, and he said, by the way, he said, those are the incentives that the credit card company dangles in front of people because they know they can't follow through. And he said, so they're using something that's good to bait them into something that's bad. And this is what the devil does. He will dangle things in front of you like that promotion that comes with a little bit more money in the corner office but you're working 30 hours a week more and now you never see your family, he'll use that. He'll, he'll use that promotion that you've wanted for so long, but now you can't go to win, on Wednesday night church or even Sunday morning. You're just hoping to catch it here or there. He'll use it to distract you. I'm not saying those things are bad or wrong. I'm not telling you not to take promotions. I'm just telling you there are things that the devil will use because all he wants to do is dig his claws in just a little bit. And then he wants to pull you down. And this is exactly what he's done with the Israelites. He's tried to use stuff, but they looked at the giant. What does David do? Look at verse 28. It says, David's oldest brother Eliab listened as he spoke to the men, because basically David said, what's y'all's problems? It's one guy. You tell me nobody can go out and fight this guy? And Eliab says to him, why did you come down here, he asked. Who do you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? So what, what, what's he saying? Look, the oldest brothers are here. We're here to fight the battle. We're soldiers. We're men. You're a shepherd boy. You're supposed to be watching the sheep. Who'd you leave back there with the sheep? And so he says this. He says, who did you leave them with? He said, I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. You came down to see the battle. He was convinced that David had come down not to be obedient to his father, not to check on his brothers. He just wanted to get in on the action. He wanted to see what was going on. And so you go a few more verses. They kind of talk back and forth a little bit. Saul gets involved. Saul hears that David's interested in fighting. He ends up having a conversation with him. Look at verse 45. David said to the Philistines, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down. Now, listen to this. This is bold. This, let me tell you something. You, you make a statement like this, you better know you're following the Lord. Because listen to this next statement. Not only am I going to strike you down, he said, I'm going to remove your head and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. What does David do here? David and Saul, right before this, have a conversation. 
Saul basically says, how are you going to do this? David says, remember what we talked about last week? He says, listen, I fought a lion. I fought a bear. If they rose up against me, I just grabbed them by the fur. I threw them to the ground, and I killed them. Not by my might, but by God's might. What's happening is the Israelites and Saul are looking at the giant, and they're running away in fear. David is not focused on the giant. He's not focused on his size. He's not focused on his spear. He's not focused on his armor. He's focused on God's faithfulness. Instead of looking at the problem, David's looking at the problem fixer. He's looking to God himself. He has watched God be faithful over and over and over again. And because he had seen God do it before, he knew God could do it again. It's interesting that when he says in verse 47, he says, And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. This is fascinating. How did David strike Goliath down? With a stone. So he's got the sling, right? Whips that thing out. He's practiced with it. He's worked on it. This is something, you know, when you're watching sheep, not a lot of action going on. Those, those dudes, they're not, you know, they're not running like crazy for the most part. They're, they're out there. They're eating, okay? They're, they're hanging out, and on occasion, you got to go catch one. All right, so there was a lot of downtime as a shepherd. He had become very good with this thing. He had become very accurate with his sling. Now, I don't know if you ever had a slingshot as a kid, but I did. I had a great Huckleberry Finn homemade slingshot, and I was so good with that thing that I could have probably hit that wall over there, okay? I'm not for sure at this distance, but I know if I stepped about halfway there, I could have hit it, okay? This old boy was accurate. He had spent a lot of time with it. What's fascinating is once he kills Goliath, he takes his sword and he cuts his head off. But yet he says right here, And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. He does kill him with a sword. He cuts his head off. He severs it and ends his life. But yet David says, today everyone here will know that God is God. Not by sword or spear. Why is that? You see, if... Saul would have gone out there as the biggest man in the Israelite army and defeated Goliath, what would they have said about Saul? They would have said he was a hero. They would have paraded him around all of Israel as the man. Or if they would have had some big gladiator that was all hulked up that went out there and defeated Goliath, they would have been able to say, we had a better warrior We had somebody that was bigger. We had somebody that was stronger. So what does God do? He takes the smallest one of the bunch. As a matter of fact, he not only takes the smallest one, he takes the one that has absolutely zero training as a warrior. Now, we know God had been training him. God had been drawing him to himself. God had been preparing him to use that sling. But the reason in which God took and used little David on this day was so that all of Israel and all of the Philistines would know that God is God. There is no question because that little boy cannot beat that big old man in a fist fight. He cannot, that little boy cannot beat that big old man in a sword fight. That little boy cannot beat that big old man if it comes down to a wrestling match. 
that little boy can probably barely pick up his spear. And yet God uses him to defeat Goliath. Why? To prove to Israel and all of the Philistines that God is God. You see, David was courageous. I believe with all my heart that God is calling men to stand up and be courageous. I'm not talking about standing up and making a big scene and calling people. I'm talking about standing up and doing what is right and what God has called us to do. I'm talking about turning our back on the things of the world. I'm talking about standing up against culture. I'm talking about when those things are being talked about at work that you know you don't need to be a part of, that you walk out. I'm talking about when somebody asks you to do something or you get in a conversation that you shouldn't be in, you get out of it. You stand up against it. When somebody's talking about somebody else, you stand up and say, they're not here. We don't need to talk about them like that. I'm telling you that we need to be counter-cultural. We need to stand up against the culture. We do not need to follow in line with where everyone is telling us we should go and sit in the place at the table that everybody in the culture is telling us we need to sit. We need to stand up like little David. And we need to look at God's faithfulness in our lives and stand up courageously against the giants that you and I face sometimes on a daily basis and say, I will not back down. All throughout Scripture, we are called to be courageous. Joshua 1.9, haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you have repented of your sins, believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead to save you, and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It talks about it in Romans. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, you will be saved. If there's been a time in your life where you've given your life to Jesus, and you have been saved then the Holy Spirit has been placed inside of you and everywhere you go, the power of God goes with you. And we do not have to fear. We can stand up and be courageous, not because of who we are, but because of who is inside of us. Deuteronomy 37, 31, 7 through 8 says, Moses then summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous. For you will go with this people into the land the Lord swore to give to their ancestors. You will enable them to take possession of it. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Moses told Joshua, the Lord is going with you. Psalm chapter 27 verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? Psalm 56, verse 3 through 4 says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And isn't it fascinating that the majority of our culture and oftentimes the majority of people that sit in pews on Sundays at church are more worried about what people think of them than what God thinks of them. They're more fearful about what a man or woman could do to them than what God could do to them. Second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says, Be alert, stand firm in the faith, 
be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. I submit to you that God is calling you and I to be courageous men. To be men that stand up, not like Saul, putting on armor, a physical armor. But that you and I, on a daily basis, would wake up and put on the armor of God. And that we would be warriors in God's army. That we would stand up and stand against the devil. But I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of things, oftentimes, in our lives that will keep us from giving God our all or laying our complete yes on the table. I've heard people say, God has most of my life. Can I just make a statement? God is not interested in most of your life. He's interested in all of it. God doesn't want a part-time Christian. He doesn't want a man that'll put a suit on and come to church on Sunday and then look just like the world the rest of the week. He doesn't want a man that'll carry a Bible but never get inside of it. He doesn't want a man that can pray before meals but has no relationship with the Lord to talk to him about anything else. He wants a man that's sold out to him. And oftentimes in our lives, there's just a part of us that we're afraid if we lay on the table, if we give it to the Lord, we're afraid that we may lose something. Maybe a relationship, maybe a job, maybe something else. So I want you to take a few minutes right before we close and discuss this question. What are you most worried about losing if you were to create courageously obey God in that area? I'll give you an example in my life. I told you that um, uh, I had an opportunity, I think I may share this, I had an opportunity to, to play basketball at a very small college. And when I got there, I thought everything was going to be great. and it, 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 was, it was a great school, but the, the basketball wasn't working out, and I was very frustrated. And I knew inside that I needed to leave and just step away. But I knew that I was going to lose every friend that I had. I knew that I was going to be made fun of. I knew that I was going to be, um, you know, the end of a lot of jokes. I knew that probably wasn't going to talk to any of these people again. I knew that on the basketball team and in that world, I was done. And I remember calling my dad and saying, Dad, I just don't know. I don't know what to do, but I really believe God's calling me to, 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 to step away at least for right now until I can get my heart right and get right with the Lord where I need to be. And I'll never forget what my dad said on the other end of the phone. He said, well, I think you answered the question, but you're waiting for me to answer it. I said, what do you mean? He said, you just said you know what the Lord told you to do. So what's the problem? I said, Dad, I think you missed the first five minutes of the conversation. Because if I do this, I'm going to lose all this. And he said, so what's the problem? I said, I, Dad, are we, is there a loose connection? Like something's not right here. Are you missing what I'm saying? He said, no, you said to me, God has told you to do this. So I'm asking you, what's the problem? And so I want you to take a few minutes around the table. And just discuss, what are you most worried about losing if you were to courageously obey God in that area? Ready, set, go. All right, guys. I know, um, I know you're, you're saying, uh, Derek, you usually give us like three or four points. You've not given us any points. And, and I'm going to give you a couple action steps in just a moment. Um, I love 
to take a story of the Bible and just walk through it very slowly in my, my personal time and just circle verbs and different things in it and just ask a lot of questions. I would encourage you as you read the Bible, take four, five, six, ten verses and just circle some different things that stand out to you and just start asking questions. Just ask questions about it and then just pray about it. Think about it. And then as you go and you maybe you read a commentary on it or you hear a sermon on it, you begin to answer some of those questions. The Lord begins to answer some of those questions. And, you know, as I was reading this, because I've read this story so many times, I, I just kept asking the Lord, Lord, what are you calling me to do? What are you calling me to do? What are you calling these men to do? And so I want to just give you two things. The first one is this. Courageously choose to obey the Lord in whatever you are struggling with. Courageously choose to obey the Lord in whatever you are struggling with. I don't know what you're walking through right now, but I know you're walking through something. And I want to challenge you to courageously choose to obey the Lord. You know, honestly, I was having this conversation with my oldest daughter this past weekend. Her and I got to take a date. My wife took her on a special trip to Nashville Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and they kind of had a, a long conversation about how God has made her fearfully and wonderfully and what her future is going to look like and all of those things, and they kind of had that mom-daughter talk, if you know what I mean. And so when, she came, when they came back to Memphis, I got all dressed up in my suit, and she put a pretty dress on, and we went to Olive Garden, and we just sat there and we were talking. And one of the things we were talking about as we ate dinner was we were talking about how important it is to obey. And we were using, I was using an illustration that happened last week. She disobeyed with something at home. She had been given some specific instructions. I was at work. My wife had to run an errand. She had been given some specific instructions. When my wife got home, the very thing that she had told my daughter to do, she did not do. And so my wife says to her, she says, Maddie, why did you not do that? And she said, Mom, I know you told me to do this, but you didn't know about ABC. And she said, I knew if you had known about A, B, and C, you wouldn't wanted me to do that. And so I didn't do that. I did A, B, and C. And she thought deep down inside my wife was going to be proud of her. And she said, Maddie, I love you. She said, but the importance of obedience is you may have thought I didn't know A, B, and C, but the reality is you don't know D through Z. And I see a much, much bigger picture, and what you didn't know is we were going to do this this afternoon, which is why I asked you to do this, and now we can't do this because we're going to have to focus on this. She was all upset that they were gonna, weren't going to get to leave the house and go do this one specific thing. And my wife said, Maddie, if you will just obey, even if everything unravels and there's all kinds of problems and A, B, and C falls apart, you will have been in the complete right because you would have been obedient to what you were told to do. She said, Maddie, there's freedom in obedience. Now, guys, I don't want you to miss that because that is so strong. You see, the freedom of obedience is that you and I don't have to worry about how it's going to turn out if we just obey because God's in control anyways. And God knows D through Z. And by the way, he knows A, B, and C as well. You know why? Because he's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And we can fully trust him. Our job is not to know what happens in the future. I'll be honest with you. My job's not to know what's going to happen tomorrow. My job is to put one foot in front of the other 
and just be obedient where God has placed me. I will tell you this, and you've heard Brother Steve say it. Nowadays, when you talk about obeying God's word, people will call you a legalist. Praise God. Let them call you whatever they want. I would rather at the end of my life, when I die, stand before God and him say, well done, my good and faithful servant, than have a few people on earth say whatever they want to say. And so I want to challenge you to courageously choose to obey the Lord in whatever decision you're wanting to make right now. Two weeks ago, there's a guy that's in another class on Wednesday nights. He texted me during this class and said, when class gets over, can I come see you? We sat in those two chairs right there. And he began to share with me something, a huge decision he was having to make. He was having to go to court. And he said, I can tell the truth, and there could be major consequences to it. Or I could just plead the fifth, and I should be okay. And I said, well, what do you think God's calling you to do? He said, oh, well, I already know that. He told me to tell the truth. I just wanted to see what you were going to (laughs) say. I said, brother, all I can tell you is to courageously choose to obey the Lord and leave the results to God. Leave the results to God. Here's the second thing. I want you to lay on the altar whatever you are afraid of losing. And I want you to do it right now. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes. And I want you just for a moment to think, what is it that I'm struggling with to obey because I'm afraid of A, B, or C, or X, Y, and Z? I don't know what that is. Maybe you're afraid of the unknown. Maybe you're afraid of a a financial commitment. Maybe you're afraid of losing a relationship. Maybe you're afraid of how you will be perceived. Maybe you're you're afraid of rejection. But I want you just for a moment in your mind, I want you to grab hold of that thing. Whatever you're walking through, whatever you're struggling to obey the Lord in right now, I want you to take whatever that fear is, and I just want you to grab hold of it. I want you to visualize it in your mind. And when you grab hold of that thing, I just want you to say this, Lord God, today, I give this over to you. I release this to you, and I choose to obey right now. I just told Noah in the back with my little girl, I'm struggling to say, God, you're in control because my, the, the daddy in me wants to come out and try to fix this, but I know I can't. And right now, I've just got to give over my fear of the unknown of what's going to happen to my little go- girl and say, Lord, I trust you. And though we're going to be obedient, we're going to keep praying. And so whatever that is, I just want you to lay it on the altar right now, and I just want you to say, Lord, I am not going to bow to this fear. I'm going to give it over to you. I'm going to lay it at your feet, and I'm going to follow you in obedience. I want you to take about 30 seconds and do that. And now here's what I want you to do. I want one man at your table right now, as soon as I say go, to just start praying over every man at your table, that they would rise up and be men of courage that walk in obedience to what God's calling them to do. Ready, set, go. Father, we love you. 
And Lord, I pray for every man in this room that we will not be like Saul and the Israelites where we look at the giants in front of us and we get discouraged and turn around and run in fear. But I pray we'll be like little David who knows that you are the one in charge. We will turn around and look at your faithfulness all throughout your word, all throughout history, all throughout our lives, and we will just submit to you and we will move forward in faith. And God, I pray with whatever each one of these men are struggling with, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them peace, that you would give them encouragement, that you would place inside of them the courage to move forward and be obedient just like little David was that day because he knew that you were going to fight the battle and that all of Israel may know that that giant was not defeated by a sword or by a spear, but he was defeated by the hand of God. And so, Lord, I pray you'll go before each one of these men, and you'll be Jehovah Nisi over them, the Lord our banner. I pray you'll go before them and fight their battles for them. I pray they'll walk with you. I pray they'll rise up early. They'll take up their cross. They'll die to themselves, and they'll follow after you. And, Lord, I pray that we won't bow to any type of fear, but, Lord, we will move forward in faith as we courageously obey what you've called us to do. We love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.